Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. Those were the words of Simon Pegg. I'm Luke Hector, and you're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast. Today's episode is all about the UK Games Expo, whether it's what went well, what went wrong, my top five moments, what would I do next year, what their plans are for next year, what tips do I have for people going, who did I meet, what did I do, you name it, it's about the Expo today. Hey folks, thanks for joining me. This episode is likely to be a little bit more on the shorter side because it's focusing entirely on the UK Games Expo 2015, where I was only a matter of days ago, it seems. Even though it does seem like longer, I must admit. It went off very well again this year. It was mostly the same as I recall it the previous year, albeit with some extra trade hall space and some interesting different ways to get food but all in all it was the same kind of setup you had the bring and buy store you had the trade halls you had the open gaming halls and obviously plenty of tournaments which this time around i did not join in i didn't feel like using up eight hours of my saturday to play netrunner as much as i like the game eight hours is a little bit over the top to play netrunner continuously especially when you don't really know what you're doing at the time but it was a cool weekend i went for the entire thing all the way from Thursday evening to, well, Thursday afternoon, technically. We got there just before rush hour started and carried on all the way until Sunday late afternoon before finally getting back home about Sunday evening. There was a lot there. I got a lot of trading done, whether it was selling my games at the bring and buy or buying new stuff, meeting people, playing a few games. Not as many games as I would have liked, I'll admit, but I think the UK Games Expo has that sort of inherent issue with it because there is so much to do you can only really get so much of everything done and okay you could just ignore the trade halls entirely and just play games continuously and I know some people do that but it's quite difficult to just focus on one thing and I suppose when I go to the expo I do tend to spend a lot of time in those trade halls either trying to get demo games played or just talking to store owners and other people who've listened to the blog. But I'm going to be doing other conventions this year, so hopefully I'll be able to maybe flip it on its head a little bit and focus more on games then. But that's not to say I didn't play any games at all. There were some very memorable games that I played and a couple of less memorable games. Uh, But, you know, it was all good fun and well worth going. Although I think I'm probably going to definitely get my own room next time because I really struggle to sleep when someone next to me is snoring. I don't know, it's just me. Thankfully, I don't think I snore. At least reports from my girlfriend have said I don't snore. But that's that's beyond <laughs> that's beyond what's needed for this podcast, I think. You know, you're here to talk about the expo, not my sleeping habits. So let's make a start and get on with just some games that I've generally played. I'm not going to talk about news in this session. I'm going to focus more on games that I've played, whether good or bad. I'm then going to maybe give some tips on what newcomers to the Expo next year should think about, as well as plans that I have heard on the grapevine they're going to do next year. 
And then I'm going to do my top five moments from the expo this year. Not top ten. If I was doing top ten, I think I'd be stretching, you know, scraping the barrel a bit for what I would consider to be like a top quality moment. It's not to say I didn't enjoy the expo, but simply just putting a moment as I played this game and it happened to be good, you know, works occasionally, but I can't make that the entire list. It's not going to work like that. So we'll we'll stick with top five. You know, keep this podcast a little bit shorter as a result. Um, mainly because I also want to have a little bit of a snippet at the end just to talk about what it is you want from the podcast in the future because as you know this podcast has been evolving over time whether in music sense or in what I, what content it has and I wanted to have a quick little uh, brainstorm about what you would like in terms of its format and length later on. Anyway, back to the expo. So let's start off with lots of games. First up is a game that I demoed on pretty much the last trading day that there was. It was kind of like, whoa, you know, just get in quick because I was hoping to get a chance to play it all expo and I got really lucky in managing to slip into a five five or six player game just as they were finishing the previous one. And that is Mysterium from Asmodee. Now, some of you probably already know the Polish version called insert name here in Polish because I am not going to try and pronounce the Polish name that they have given it by Ignas- that Ignacy Trevicek has been essentially putting out there but this is effectively the English version of that game it's just English language so you don't have the Polish language but effectively it's the same game just with a few minor mechanic tweaks to it but what Mysterium is is the best way to describe it is co-op Dixit Dixit, if you've ever played it, involves you looking at these giant cards full of really surreal storybook artwork and then trying to have so many players, giving a clue about the card and then getting players to hopefully guess your card but not everybody and everyone else is trying to fool others by getting to guess their cards. It's a cool party game but it's one that takes a lot of imagination to get going because you have to be really almost a bit cryptic about some of the clues you're giving with those storybook cards. Well, the way Mysterium works is that it uses pretty much identical like storybook artistry cards. You know, it's the same style, but you're effectively playing a game of Cluedo with a twist. There has been a murder, and one guy runs the game and has stipulated that he's been murdered, and there is a person, a room, and a weapon, much like Cluedo in that respect. All of you are psychic investigators trying to figure out which, you know, who did it, what they used and where they were, much like Cluedo. But the way that you do it is through dreams. The guy who has died is giving you these storybook cards to represent characters who are involved in it in some way. Now, it's going to be different characters, so it's not continuously focusing on the same one. He's got to give each player a different character to focus on. But he has to give you storybook cards to try and influence your thinking as to which weapon or room or character he's thinking about. And you've got pictures, you know, really nice pictures of all these things on the table as you're doing it. So you're trying to link the cards he's given you to what's on the table thinking, why is he giving me a picture of a goat in a field with a bunch of daisies? I don't know. You know, there's an example. And... It's quite a cool tweak on how Dixit works, because Dixit is a party game, but it's still competitive. This one is co-op, so you're trying to work together and advise people on whether they've got their clues wrong or not. But there's so much subjectivity to how you interpret these cards that 
it just becomes quite a quite a good laugh actually as to like as you stare at the guy running the games going what are you thinking here because this is throwing me for a loop and it's just a really cool little game and did i mention the artwork was gorgeous seriously asmodee put out a lot of decent artwork in their games but wow this one has got some of the best artwork i have ever seen in a game now granted i've not played abyss yet although i do have a copy on my shelf so i'll get back to you on that front but whoo if abyss is winning the dice tower awards for best artwork at this rate then i think mysterium is just going to clinch it next time because wow it just looks so gorgeous but it's a cool little game. I only got to demo it up to a point, so I didn't get to play the entire game through, but I just thought it was a really neat, clean mechanic. The fact that you're playing Cluedo, but using the storybook artistry to figure it out, as opposed to just rolling and moving on a grid board and saying it's Professor Plum in the study or something lame. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the original Cluedo. But this is a really cool tweak on it, and I do... I mean. Give the Polish version a try if you like, because all you've got to do is download the English rulebook. It's not that much of a big deal. But if you're willing to wait, then just keep an eye out for Mysterium later this year. I can't remember exactly when. I think it was the end of summer that they're looking to release it, maybe like in the autumn time, so quarter three maybe. But keep an eye out for it, and certainly give it a try, because this is a really unique, innovative game. Now we're going to flip things on its head and go on to a game that I wasn't a big fan of. Now, Trading in the Mediterranean is not my favourite theme of all time. I don't mind it, and there are some cool games with it, but there's only so much you can do with the theme to make it interesting. Now, I'd heard a lot of big things about Concordia, and Concordia looks pretty when you see it on the table, and it's certainly got a lot of attention from passers-by, and it involves collecting cards in order to like, effectively up your multiplier for points. But essentially, you're moving your guys around on the board, building little cities, and I say trading goods. You're effectively just uh, buying them, sticking them in your warehouse, and then maybe selling them off for a little bit of money or to do other things later. And certain things need certain resources. So it's your standard trading in the Mediterranean affair with a little bit of a twist on uh, card hand management because your actions are based on a hand of cards that you have and you play these that from your hand. You've only got so many of them, but you can buy more and you can get them back if you play a certain card at some point later. So it's you've got to be careful with what actions you have available. As a starting point, it's all right, but... It may have been skewed by the fact that we were about to play this with four players. And then a person came along, literally just out of the blue, and asked if he could play. Now, I'm all up for saying, okay, you know, if people come by and request to play your game, if you can fit them in, fit them in. Because you want to socialize and meet new people. I'm all for that. Problem is, I have a bit of a thing with Euro games when you start maxing the players out. I can't think of a single Euro game that I have or that I have played where maxing the players is a benefit. Who plays Caverna with seven? Who plays Terra Mystica with five? Who plays Concordia with five? Well, to put it in this context, because we played it with five and it went on and on and on. At least a three-hour game it was. It was at least three hours and I was just bored. The game is okay. I don't think it's bad. It's certainly designed okay. But I'm not convinced that 
certain elements of the scoring are a little unbalanced. I don't think there are certain victory conditions that it's just pointless to go for. I mean, you can get like one for every 10 gold or something. And it's like, yeah, seriously, you're spending gold like left, right and center. There is no way you're going to get as many points as somebody who, for example, basically put one city in each province, which isn't that difficult to do because all you've got to do is just move your guy across the world throughout the game and suddenly grabs all the province cards, which are like two points a province. And there's various other ones as well that I just think are a bit more powerful, particularly if you build a lot of... Uh, colonists to go out if you get the points for those that's quite nasty but it just dragged on if you play this with too many players the AP goes out of control and it just takes forever to play I mean three hours is too long for a trading in the Mediterranean game maybe I'll prefer this with less I don't know but in the end there was nothing in it that really grabbed me whoopee I'm playing cards that I get to pull back in my hand later uh, hello I believe there was a um, an old game that did that already, Havana or something, that's the same mechanic. I wasn't a big fan of Havana either. And all you're doing is just, here's a few trading goods and we'll set a few trading goods. You don't really interact with the players much and you can get screwed over in this game easily. And I mean really easily. Those cards that you buy for the victory points, they're critical to your strategy because if you don't get them, someone else will take them. And even if they're not like going to get that many points from them, they'll take them anyway just because they can buy them cheap. And if you've been focusing on one or two areas and suddenly somebody comes up and buys the cards that are relevant to that, you're screwed because you've now got to effectively change your strategy and hope that the cards are going to come out and you're never going to get as many points doing that as you could. I had to change my strategy seven times. Seven times. In one game, I had to rethink my strategy because people just screwed me over constantly with where they built their cities, where the, which cards they bought, and these weren't even decisions that I thought were actually benefiting them, you know. I was trying to collect a load of one particular resource and specialize in it. Someone else bought the card. They didn't even need it. You know, it didn't make any sense. But the thing is, if you're going to play a game for two and a half to three hours and you can get screwed over as easy as that, then no. You know, seriously, if you can get screwed over easily, I want the game to be like 30 to 60 minutes max, not three hours. And I reckon it was longer than three hours because when I looked at my watch, it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And I swear we started before midday. And that's probably not even including the rules explanation, which probably took another like 20 minutes on top. Is uh, never play Concordia with five players ever. In fact, I don't even think I want to play this with four. If I ever get to play this again, and if I ever want to play it, I'm playing it with three max because I just think any more than that, and it just drags on too long for what is essentially just another trade in the med game. So that was a bit of a letdown, Concordia. Another new game that was played was one that a friend of mine bought, which was, I believe, called Samurai Spirit. It's a card game, a co-op card game, and it's you are samurai defending the village from invaders, and you've got to protect the buildings, and you've got to protect the villagers. Almost sounds a bit like ghost stories in that respect, and I must admit, it did give me a little bit of a ghost stories vibe, except you're using cards as opposed to dice. And each of you has a samurai with a special ability, and you have you draw cards from an invader deck, which you either position on the left-hand side of your samurai to cover yourself for the end of the round, because when the round finishes or the deck runs out, 
then if you haven't covered these free spaces on your left-hand side of the samurai card, then things get destroyed. It's effectively saying that you're protecting these particular areas. But you can also put them on the right-hand side of your card and effectively fight them. And in doing so, you it's not exactly damage, but you could almost call it stress. I forget what the terminology was for the track, but it's effectively a track that goes up and up and up the more people you fight. And when you reach a certain peak, you're able to use your really good special ability. But if you go one up over that, you end up unconscious and you're out of the round. Now, this one's okay. I mean, it can go up to seven players, and we played with six, I believe. Although I have no idea why it should go up to seven players. This really should have been capped at four, maybe five max. Because, again, it just takes too long when you up that level number of players. The other problem is that it's player elimination. Not entirely player elimination. I mean, when you if one person dies, the whole game ends. But if you go unconscious, you are out of the round and you don't get to do anything until the rest of that deck fills out. And it's very dull to sit around waiting for that to happen while everybody else gets to continue their turns. And I wouldn't necessarily say the game is that fast. You know, it's it's faster than some, but still, you're going to be sat around for a good, you know, good fair amount of the game not doing a lot. Especially if you get unconscious a couple of times just because of some unlucky card draws. Because in the end, you're drawing from a deck of cards. There's very little skill involved. It's a case of just making a good choice with whatever card comes out of that deck. So it is very luck-based. That being said, the artwork is very nice and it is very challenging. This is not easy to win. I don't think we won it at all when we were playing it. So I'm probably not talking ghost story level hard, but it's certainly a challenge. You, When you get to that third round, you are struggling to keep everyone alive. And, you know, it can really, if you, if you like that sort of co-op where it does beat you around the bush a lot, then fair enough, you might actually get a kick out of it. I was also really disappointed that despite the fact that your samurai had these really cool like animal forms on the back that they could shapeshift into, the only time you ever did that is when you took three out of four wounds and was it no, sorry, when you took your second wound, you shifted into the animal form, and all it does is that it makes your Kai ability, that one I mentioned earlier where you reach a peak, slightly better. That's all it does. Nothing else. <laughs> you know, way to make the game thematic. I mean literally you are just just samurai with special ability now you're just animal with slightly better special ability that's it you don't get to do anything really cool in your animal form so that was a bit of a letdown but the game is okay it's not too bad it's never going to make my collection because i wasn't a big fan of it but it's a challenging co-op it looks very nice relatively cheap to buy and it can play up to seven players so if you want a game that's going to do that samurai spirit might be worth a look Now, it sounds like I'm being really negative, but I'm not being completely negative. You know, those two games that I mentioned last were probably the two bad games that I played during the entire expo. I'm going to get into at least one or two good games on my top five moments later. But just as a couple of honorable mentions, I will also mention uh, Good Cop, Bad Cop. I bought this recently and I finally got to try it out there. This is where you're... You've got your... How's the best way to put it? It's a bluffing and deception game. Basically, you're a part of this police force and they're trying to nail down who the crooked cops are in the group. And each side is trying to murder the opposing... Well, the good guys, they've got the agent. The bad guys, they've got the kingpin. And each side is trying to murder each other. 
you've got three integrity cards in front of you that will say either crooked or good. Was it crooked or honest? Yeah, honest or something like that. Honest cop. And basically, if you've got the majority of one in particular, or you happen to be the agent or the kingpin, you are that affiliation. So you're either good or bad. And it plays in the sort of weird twist to bang the dice game in a sense, where you're trying to figure out who's on your team and who isn't, while trying to also figure out who the kingpin and agents are, and then either protect an agent if it's on, well, protect one of them if it's on your team, or assassinate it if it's on the other player's team. This was a cool little bluffing game, actually. I mean, it, it generates quite a few laughs. It's very simple to play. It doesn't take very long. You know, you're talking like 15 minutes a game max. And even though sometimes the game can fall off a bit, depending on who gets picked out first. I mean, I one game I taught, literally somebody decided, right, I'm going to look at one integrity card, and they just happened to look at my kingpin card. You know, out of eight players... Eight times three integrity cards, and they happen to look at my one and get the kingpin. That was a bit of a fluke, but it also meant that I was pretty much dead on arrival. Ah, well, these things happen. But in general, it's a 15-minute card game. It's bluffing and deception. It's a cool little twist, and will generate quite a few laughs. And, you know, there is an expansion coming out for it later this year, so maybe that will up it even more. Relatively cheap to get. They've just brought out a second edition of it. I don't know if it's changed much from the first edition, but you know, it's another reprint, so at least it's back in stock. So, good cop, bad cop, worth a try if you like bluffing and deception games. So let's talk about more on the expo in general, particularly what newcomers should worry about when they go to these things. Now, the expo, this is the second time I've been to the expo. So yeah, granted, there's people out there that have been there a lot more often than me, probably when it was at different venues or even, or when they didn't have as much going on. But they are changing it over time, and next year they are going to expand from the Hilton Hotel into the NEC area slightly, so there's going to be a lot more space in terms of the trade halls and maybe some extra open area games. And in this time, they had an outside marquee tent thing for open gaming and tournaments, which worked quite well, and some outside food stalls. Which, as far as I could tell, was still pretty expensive, you know, but probably cheaper than the hotel itself, and that seemed to work quite well as well. But I'm just going to go over a few things that you should really bear in mind when planning for this expo, regardless of whether it's this year, you know, whether it was next year or they get more space in that. These are things you should always bear in mind. Firstly, it is worth staying at the Hilton if you think you're going to do a lot of buying and selling. Now, you may think that you can get a cheaper place outside of the Hilton, and you more than likely can. But the UK Games Expo rate for a Hilton room, certainly I think for single, is about 60 quid. And for double or twin, I believe it's about 90, maybe 100 or something like that. You know, So it's not the cheapest room in the world. But with two people sharing, that's 50 quid a night. On your own, it's about 60 a night. Now, that may not be the cheapest room rate available. You certainly could probably get 30 to 40, maybe if you went to somewhere nearby. But factor a few things in here. Firstly, parking at the Hilton is free for the entire weekend. If you stay anywhere else, you are going to have to pay the parking charge if you bought a car, and that can be seven to nine pounds a day for each day that you're there. So that racks up. 
Not to mention, also, in order to get to the Hilton in general, if you park outside, if you want a space, chances are you're going to the big area car park that they opened up, which has a shuttle bus that goes between the Hilton and the car park. Now, that might not be bad if you're not planning to carry a lot, but if you're going to do a lot of buying and selling, bear in mind you're going to carry a lot of bags with you that are heavy full of games. You're going to have bags digging into your skin constantly as you're lifting these up. Do you really want to be walking a great distance with such items? When you stay at the Hilton, all you have to do is go back up to your room, catch a lift, walk down the corridor a little bit, dump them on your bed, rinse, repeat, get back out there. It is just so much more convenient to be at the Hilton itself. I've done it two years straight because I tend to bring a lot of games to play as well as buy and sell a lot of games and I would not have it any other way. You are going to have to give me one hell of a good excuse to not want to stay at the Hilton. This is why I book early and... On this occasion, I had to get a roommate because, unfortunately, my long-distance girlfriend wasn't able to attend as originally planned. But I think the expo might have overwhelmed her a little bit anyway, so maybe it wasn't entirely a bad thing. But, yeah, I certainly recommend that if you can save up the money, you should consider staying at the Hilton because it will make your life a lot easier. So much more convenient to just go to your room, dump the games, and then come out, stick them in your car on the last day, and Bob's your uncle. It really is quite very convenient, so I'm repeating my words here. Generally, just stay at the Hilton. The next tip is going to relate to the bring and buy sale. Now, maybe this will change a lot in terms of its format next year, but currently they tend to house up in a relatively small room, get all the games on various shelving and tables for everyone to look at, and then you go through and browse. The problem is it is really popular. I mean, with good reason. Everybody wants a cheap deal, and they can get some games that are long out of print if they're lucky. Especially even some Kickstarter ones tend to appear on there. But... Bear in mind, this is busy, and I mean super busy. And we're getting more and more numbers at the Expo each year, so it's only going to get worse if they don't expand it even more. But the Bring and Buy sale is one of those ones where if you don't like queues, then you're going to hate the Bring and Buy sale. Because on the day that you come in to deposit your games, you're going to be in a queue. The day that it opens up, you're going to be in a queue probably to buy. And then on later days, like Saturday, for example, because they opened it on Friday as well, which was a bit quieter. But on Saturday, when it really kicks off, it's going to be a queue regardless of what you're doing. Now, the way to get around this, I've noticed a few interesting um, timing tweaks that you can do in order to get the best out of it. Firstly, I recommend that you actually don't bring that many games to actually sell until later in either day that you go for whether it's friday saturday or whatever bring the games late because when you go early unless you get there really early you're going to be in a queue for a while because everybody else is thinking the same thing about going to the bring and buy to deposit their games and you will get stuck in the queue but i noticed that when you went later in the day the selling queue is nigh on non-existent because everybody had already come in and deposited their games and were now looking to buy rather than sell so you might want to sacrifice friday as a potential day to sell your games and bring them in quite late then because then you can get them in nice and quick they'll store them overnight and then on saturday when all the numbers start flooding in your games will get more attention 
And to be fair, most of your Bring and Buy games are going to sell on the Saturday as opposed to the other two games. Sorry, other two days. Some will sell on the Friday, depending on how popular they are. But with me, I only sold one game, I believe, on the Friday. And that was a fairly big one, so I was quite surprised. But the rest of my games, I had to give a five quid reduction and wait till the end of Saturday, early Sunday, before they actually sold. Because you just want the numbers to look at them. And in terms of the three days, Saturday is the busiest, then Sunday, then Friday. Friday is the quietest day of the expo. And I wouldn't exactly say it was super quiet. It's still busy, but nowhere in comparison to Saturday and Sunday. So you could afford to let Friday off and just get your games in nice and quick late in the day and then let Saturday and Sunday sell your games. Because believe me, there's going to be loads of people seeing your game on the shelf. If it has the potential to sell, it will sell. No problem. Enough people are going to look at it on the Saturday. But now you've also got the issue of the buying queue. Now, buying's a different story because that buy queue is usually quite long regardless of when you go. And, you know, it's a bit... It's a bit hard to find a time when it's going to, you know, ease up and that. It tends to ease up a bit later in the day, but certainly for the main part of the day, it's unlikely to. For this one, I suggest that it is a case of get there nice and early. And I mean early, you know, like normally you'd get up for breakfast early. Because if you can get there in there first, particularly on a Saturday, most people are bringing in their games. And at that point... The Bring and Buy sale gets all these new titles that some of them might sell the instant they go on the shelf. If you get there nice and early on a Saturday morning, you might be able to be one of those lucky people that finds a really killer deal nice and quick before someone else nicks it. The Bring and Buy sale is almost pointless to go in on a Sunday because by that point, most of the games that are really good have already sold. You won't get that many new games in. And you're usually looking at a bunch of games that you just really could not give a monkeys about. So you're really looking on Friday and Saturday for the bring and buy. Certainly I think the Friday is a good one to do as well early. Because people who have come on the Friday will deposit their games and again you get a first look. Try not to go to the bring and buy sale too often though. The queue is long, and a lot of the times you'll just be looking at the same old games that aren't selling. Yes, occasionally you might get a game that suddenly appeared during the day that you really quite like. But those instances are few and far between. And do you really want to be stuck in that queue for 30 to 60 minutes of time every time you want to do that? You really need to space, you know, to pick your moments with that thing and time it right so selling i recommend wait till late on friday to get them in you know when it's nice and quiet for the selling queue and then for buying i recommend just get there nice and early on each day make that the first thing you do in the day and then leave it until later in the day later in the day the queue might get down to a point where it's actually relatively quick but if you want first dibs on stuff in the bring and buy i suggest get there early and hang around in there because there's no time limit you're not like there's no problem to stay in there for a little bit but you certainly do not want to be you know stuck in a queue when everybody else is buying games that are already in there so that would just be my my personal things that i'm going to do next year for the bring and buy unless they change it so dramatically that queues are non-existent in which case ignore everything i just said but we'll just have to see how things go
And my final tip is going to be relating to the trade halls themselves. Now the trade halls are great. There are loads of places selling games at various prices. Some a bit expensive, some a bit cheaper. And certainly there's going to be popular designers there. There's going to be publishers there demoing games. The trade halls are great fun to go around just to see everything and look at all the nice juicy shrink wraps goodness that's on the shelves and potentially spend all your money on it. It's certainly what takes up most of my time at the expo, that has to be said. I probably reckon at least 75% of my time is taken up by trading and bring and buy, and the other 25% is done with gaming. That tends to be the way it works out on my case. But here's a little trick with the trade halls. A lot of people will go in on the Saturday to do it because it's like a busy time and it's when people arrive. Don't do that. Unless you are thinking of getting something that you know is going to sell out like instantly. You know, the second it falls onto the shelf, it's going to fall off it. If there's something like that, then fair enough, get in there and buy it. And maybe do that first thing that opens on the Saturday or Friday. But here's a little trick. Firstly, Friday is obviously a lot less busy. So it's worth going in there on the Friday to get an initial glimpse of what there is. You can try a few demos out, you can speak to people, and if something really is that popular that there's no chance you will get it later in the weekend then you can go in there and get it then you know pick up all the initial free goodies before everyone else does now bear in mind these traders are there for friday saturday and sunday they don't turn up on saturday they turn up on the friday so they're there even though people who are going to the expo won't necessarily be there for all three days they will be so friday when it's less busy is a really cool time to actually get in there and get the early stuff fast do that as soon as it opens. I mean, rarely you should think about going later. But for the trade halls, when it opens on Friday, get in there, see what you want to see, get what you need to get, and then leave. And then don't ever go back on the Saturday. Now, that's going to sound a little weird to some people. And occasionally you'll have some spare time and you'll think, oh, well, I'm just going to browse a trade hall for a bit on Saturday. If so, that's your choice. But I warn you, it's busy. However, I would probably suggest don't buy anything on the Saturday unless you're desperate. Now here's why. On Sunday, bearing in mind, these people who have bought tons of stuff in vans in order to sell at the expo, I've now got to take them back. That's a hassle. They don't necessarily have as much, you know, they, it, they had to cram it full of stuff in order to get it there. And the less that they take back, the better, because it just makes life so much easier for them when they've got to get to the other end and redeposit it across all their shelves and stuff. So what a lot of the trade hall people do on the Sunday is sometimes you'll notice the odd price reduction here and there, or you'll notice various discount deals go up. Now, sometimes they do these for the whole weekend, in which case take advantage of them. But I have seen some stalls do little discounts on the Sunday, or certainly little incentives to get them off the shelf and just to reduce their stock. And that might just simply be haggling. I was able to save a couple of quid on some games purely just through haggling. You know, it doesn't sound like much, but it all adds up over the course of the expo and every little bit helps. And it just seems to work quite nicely. So Sunday seems to be a time when I really like going around the trade halls just one last time to see if I can pick up stuff. And in all fairness, that's kind of how it worked for my wallet. Because on Friday, I didn't buy very much, but I got a few like cool little free goodies and bought things like the tabletop magazine and stuff like that. On Saturday, I don't think I spent a single penny in the trade hall. Bring and buy. No, again, I did that on the Friday. So I didn't spend a single penny on games on the Saturday. 
But on the Sunday, I went on a shopping spree and I just bought game after game after game. Well, not tons. I mean, I've bought more at the expo before and I know some people buy tons at the expo. So, you know, people will mock me for buying more games at the expo. But seriously, there are some people that spend their life savings on stuff there. It's kind of like they essentially only buy games once a year and it's at the expo. Whereas I buy games quite frequently and get the odd review copy here and there. Well, rarely, but the odd review copy and therefore it's um, a little bit more spaced out in my case. But Sundays, are, like I said, Sunday's a good time to do it. Try and see which discounts then pop up and see whether you can haggle a few bucks off. So I'm going to say Friday and Sunday are your trade hall days. Saturday is your gaming day. Most people wouldn't necessarily think this way, but it worked for me on that one. And I'm going to try it next year as well and see how it goes. Now, of course, if you've listened to my previous podcast episode where I talked about last year's UK Games Expo, you'll notice a few tips and tricks in there as well. Those ones are a little bit more obvious and generic, but just to reiterate a few of them very quickly, bring lots of cash because the cash machine charges and there's no guarantee they'll be cashing it anyway. They do use cards, some of these places, but the signal's not always great and sometimes you get some people that can only take cash. You need to have a healthy amount of cash on your person and you need to keep it secure. So make sure it's in a tight pocket and any excess cash, keep in your safe in your room. They have these locked safes that are in your room that you can deposit stuff in. Use them, put your cash in there and keep it safe. Also, take a lot of water with you. You are going to dehydrate like crazy in this place with all the body heat around and all the talking you're going to do during games, particularly if you're explaining the rules a lot. So you need a good supply of water. Don't rely on buying bottles from the hotel because they'll charge you nine on two pound a bottle of water, you know, daylight robbery. Take a thermos or take a bottle, empty bottle, and just fill it up in the tap and do it regularly. Like in between every game, always get a new bottle of water because you are going to dehydrate like crazy and you don't want to have headaches from dehydration when you're trying to play games. On top of that, on the similar subject, food. You can buy food when you're there and the food stalls outside do do some pretty nice food, but they're not cheap. They are not cheap at all, especially the hotel. You want If you're getting breakfast in a hotel, you need to load up on your breakfast and eat like a king because that will hopefully take you through the lunch hours and then you can worry about your dinner later. They do allow some takeaways in there now and again, like Domino's, but to be honest, don't you want to eat a little bit healthier? I recommend taking some snacks in your suitcase and just keeping them in your room for now and again. I took a box of granola that I could eat dry so I didn't need any milk with it and I also took a bag of apples and some like you know protein bars or some snack bars that kind of thing you know, I'm not talking Mars and Twix I mean like the breakfast bars effectively the slightly more healthy but still not great for you bars as I like to call them and those work quite well and it sh- they can be used as emergency food to try and keep you going. Now of course you're going to need a massive meal at some point in the evening in which case you might just have to stomach it and buy something then. But maybe if you've brought some stuff that you could easily cook, maybe something in your room like a pot noodle, you know, you get a kettle, so you've got the hot water, all you need is a pot noodle I guess. That might fill you up and then combine it with some fruit and veg that you could just sneak into your bag. Like I said, a bag of apples is a good way of doing it. So that's always worth doing as well. And then, of course, the final thing I can say about the expo is just 
have fun and be courteous. Everybody is there to have a good time and enjoy playing games. Nobody is there to give you a hard time or to deliberately rat on your game or anything like that. People want to play games, they want to meet people and they want to have fun. So just be a decent, nice person about it. Don't have a go at anyone for wanting to play in your game. You know, invite people other than just your gaming group into your games or go out yourself and just locate random people to play a game with you know you can get these little flags that you can put on your table to say i want players in and granted the expo could actually do with making those a little bit more obvious as to how big they are and how they work but you can certainly get to meet more people that way so just be a decent person be friendly don't be an ass go out there and have fun and i will definitely see you at the UK Games Expo 2016 as a result. That's enough for tips from me, let's get on to my top 5 moments and wrap this up. Okay, just to wrap this episode up, I'm going to go fairly quickly, if I can, over my top five moments from the Games Expo. These were five things that I was doing at the Expo that are going to stick with me, at least until the next Expo, where hopefully I'll be able to maybe double the number of moments, but we'll see how things go. These can be a game I played that just went really well, it can be a occasion, it could be even just somebody I met. You know, these are five moments that at the UK Games Expo 2015 will stick in my memory or that just gave me such a good feeling. Number five is more of a kind of self-pride point really for me. I approached the people who run the Expo because they were basically calling out for people to write articles for their program, their magazine that they give out. It's a cool little program, it explains like the awards that are going out, like the nominations for the Board Game Awards, uh, it has a few articles by people in the industry, and just generally gives information on the Expo. But they were calling out for people to do guest articles, and I thought, well this is something cool, I enjoy writing about games, and this gave me an opportunity to write about something other than just simply a game review. So I decided to do a piece on apps in board gaming, in in retrospect basically saying you know, how apps have influenced board gaming, what quality board game apps are out there, how it's influenced the market in the sense that, you know, is is it destroying the physical board game when you can just find it on the app, that kind of thing, and basically just how it's evolving board gaming as we know it. It was a two-page article, and I didn't know if it was going to get printed or not. I mean, we were in discussions, I edited a few things, gave them some pictures, that kind of thing, and they kind of went out of contact for a while, so I assumed they were putting it in there, but I didn't really know for certain. Until, finally, I got there, saw the program, and the first thing I did was I looked it up and found my two-page article in there, the apps in board gaming. It was there, over two pages, with an advert for, I think, Chaos Cards in the middle of it, or something like that, but it was it was there with some of the pictures I'd chosen in the way I'd written it, and it was just cool to see it there. I kind of half expected it to be there, which is why it's a bit lower on the list, but it was just really nice to see my article in a magazine that was going to be read by so many people at the expo, including friends of mine, and granted, you know, I joked to them saying, you know, have a read, I know it's not perfect, and, you know, it's you know, it's my first try at a proper article, so, 
you know see whether you like it and i got some positive feedback on the subject so it was it was just cool to see that in the magazine really if you haven't read it then feel free to go find your copy of the program and have a read but if not like i say not a problem i was just glad to see it actually published in an expo publication so number five seeing my article printed in the program Number four. Now, this was a game of alien legendary encounters that I waited a long time to get some players in. I mean, seriously, Expo, sort out those flags. They're too small, and they don't make it obvious that you want people to play your games. I think what I'm going to do next year is that, in advance, I'm going to get a big banner printed or something on a stand that I can put on my table saying, Looking for players! Exclamation mark or something. Maybe even put my Broken Meeple logo on it. That'd be be a good... um, advertising venture yeah, i'm gonna to have to look into that actually for next year but basically i sat around waiting for people to come into this game and we did we got a four-player game of legendary encounters going i was teaching three new people and it was a good laugh you know one person there the girl in particular liked the alien franchise so we got chatting about the movies in general and how the theme worked uh the person that was with her don't know if it was a i don't know if it was a husband or just a friend of theirs or something i don't know it looked a bit older than her but he had never watched the Alien films, but he still enjoyed the game anyway. And we narrowly, evolved, narrowly avoided a face hugger on turn two for a friend of mine who was in it by, thankfully, the girl having enough to take care of it. So I was like, Phew. I didn't want my first game to teach him suddenly have him die in the third turn of the game or something. That wouldn't have gone down too well. But the reason this makes my number four is, for starters, it was a fun game. I enjoyed this game a lot, and with these three people, it really went well. But it was a tense game. We played through the second film, Aliens, and I have still not beaten that film yet. I have beaten the first, third, and the fourth. I have not beaten the second, and I will do it, but the second one is hard. I think it's the hardest out of all four of them. And it's mainly just because the events and the hazards are quite relentless in how they really do you over. But... We got to a point where the Queen came out early. We hadn't sorted out the sentry guns yet, and the Queen had already come out to play. And the Queen double strikes, so she doesn't... Well, she has a tweak on it. She strikes you, and then she strikes the next player. So constantly you're taking damage from the Queen as it's beating you up, two people at a time. And we must have gone at least about three rounds with me doing some heals, with people sucking up the damage, a few close calls and some body armors. You know, just taking the queen's punches in the face constantly. trying to She's clawing at us and we're trying to survive. Like, we're trying to get past the sentry guns. We get the sentry guns done. Then we've got the captives to worry about. And all this time, the queen's beating down on us. Constantly clawing at us. And we're just on the nick of being killed. and. We got to a point where I'd managed to get all the captives out. I was a, I was pretty much the recruiting uh, person there and a healer rather than the combatant. And we were like one turn away. We thought, yes, we can do this. We can win. This guy's got the amount of fight to deal with the queen. We can do it. We're going to beat this one. Unfortunately, the player before him drew all the close call strikes from his... He drew like a double strike, like draw another strike after this one. But he drew all the zeros and ones leaving the guy with all the fight to draw a high four, or was it a three, I don't know, three or four, and die. Damn it. (laughs) Basically, we had put all our money on this guy being alive, so he could kill the queen, and I can't remember which character he was playing either. Um, 
He was... Was he the synthetic? Or was he... I'm trying to remember who he was. But he was going for a lot of tech and he was doing pretty well. And he had a lot of fight. But, oh yeah, he was was buying all the Hicks close quarter combat cards. So he was very much about, yeah, come to the combat zone, aliens. I'm here with my trusty shotgun. He was doing quite well at that. But we had everything banked on him to kill the queen and he died and then we tried our best to get the fight up we just couldn't and the queen eventually finished us off me next followed by the bloke followed by the girl but it was such a tense game we we were falling behind and we pulled it back and we were so close to winning and it didn't happen but oh you know losing a competitive game can sometimes leave a sour mark losing a co-op game is still fun and it just makes you want to come back for more at some point i am going to kill that queen that queen is going down but whether it will be in a spectacular fashion i don't know it's a hard scenario to beat but i really enjoyed that game number four my legendary encounters close call with the queen Number three, and I'm looking at the timer and I'm realising this episode is not going to be as short as I thought it was. Oh well, more content for you guys then. And a sore throat for me. But my number three was... It's general over the whole expo, I guess, but it didn't happen much on other occasions. It was just this one particular occasion that really stuck in my head. My friend and I were walking back up to our rooms in order to deposit some games off. And some guy, a group of people walked past us and then one of them just suddenly go, wait a minute, you're Luke, aren't you? And I didn't recognise any of them. I didn't know where any of them were from. He just goes, you're Luke, aren't you? Turn around, a bit perplexed. And this guy, like, shakes my hand and basically goes, yes, I recognise your voice. You're the broken meeple dude. It's like, oh, I listened to your show. I worked down the Thirsty Meeples downstairs. And it was. It was a guy who worked on the Thirsty Meeples stall downstairs, which, to be fair, actually, it was a really cool idea. Thirsty Meeples bringing all their games and letting people demo them. That was really good. I hope they're there next year. But, oh, my God. It was just so hilarious at the time because... I mean, I like it if somebody does come up to me and say, hi, I like the show, good on you. You know, I'm not looking to be worshipped or anything, like a god or anything. I'm certainly not that. But it's just nice to get some feedback from people saying, you know, your show's good, I like it for this. Or here's some improvements maybe. Or keep up the good work and just thank you for doing what you do. You know, just little things like that I do appreciate when you get some feedback. But it was just so shocking how it worked because it was almost slightly fanboyish about it, even though maybe that maybe that was just because he was on a bit of a high at the time. But I just remember my friend standing there, grinning like a Cheshire cat as this is happening. So he's sort of like built, waiting for his opportunity to, as we're walking away to give me so much stick for somebody to come up with like permission to squeeze or stuff like that. And oh, it was. It was hilarious at the time, but it's little things like that that just stuck in my mind because some people do say, oh, yeah, I recognize the podcast, you know, good on you, and you get to chat about what they do as well. I met some other podcasters, but just for that guy to suddenly cover out of the blue, shock me like crazy, and suddenly almost go a little fanboyish. I (laughs) I wish I'd got his name. I'm sorry I didn't get his name, but I know he works at Thirsty People, so, you know, if you're out there, credit to you because that made my day that moment, but... It's just little things like that, but I think that that moment and then getting the stick off my mate where throughout the rest of the day he's sort of going, oh yeah, I saw this happening and stuff like that. It was just a good laugh, so it, it had to make my number three just because that's going to stick with me for a long time. So number three, 
I don't know, being recognised by thirsty meeples, I suppose is what I'll call it. Number two. Now, party games I really do enjoy, but some party games are hilariously funny when you play them either in combination with alcohol or when you're already a bit tired. Now, that can be a double-edged sword. Playing the game when you're tired can sometimes make you a bit more stressed. But then what sort of games should you not play when you're a little bit stressed? Games that stress you out more. So why, oh why, did I agree at midnight to... Rather than go to bed, which because I was already a bit tired and so were other people, why did I agree that we should play a six-player, two, three teams of two game of Time's Up? We played this downstairs in the Monarch Gaming Hall at midnight. You know, we didn't finish until about half one by the time we'd got through it. We were all tired, but oh my god, this is one of the funniest games of Time's Up I have ever played. Despite the fact that my partner and I did atrociously, I mean, he was tired, he couldn't remember clues that had come up in previous rounds, and I was struggling with some of the cards. You know, um, my friends, my friend Graham's wife, Stella, and a uh, new guy I met at the expo, Dan Miller, he, th- those two were paired up, and they decimated us. They were just the king and queen of times up on that night, and fair play to them. The, the clues they were, it's not like they were getting an easy ride. They were giving some good clues, they were communicating well. But despite all that, we were just having so much fun laughing at some of the clues that were being given or the fact that everybody was knackered and just could not come up with decent ways to do it, especially when it got to the pantomime section and the one-word clues. I really love the one-word clue section of that game. It is a lot of fun. But there were just moments of people really getting stressed out with like, like, how could you not know who the this plays the Da Vinci Code and all this stuff is, and I was guilty of that as well. I do this a lot in Times Up, you know. You you always get into it, but there were just some classic moments where people gave out some really weird clues or did some really weird actions. Uh, one in particular, I remember Graham uh, near the end of the game. I think he'd got off a card and he was talking in mid sentence, and then suddenly just like broke off into. You know, like that. If anybody has ever seen Future Armor, it's the it's the scene where the little child robot in the uh, All My Circuits, shall we say, where he breaks down and you just see like the symbols go. He's with bits flying off him and he's broken. It was exactly like that moment with my mate Graham. He'd literally just like in mid sentence because he couldn't think of anything and he just continued that sound effect for ages to the point where I almost expected the Windows 7 like logo to appear in his eyes or something is like this is a song movie about you know Graham has performed an illegal operation and will be terminated it literally was like that and I don't know why it just had me in stitches at the time when I saw him literally just break down in mid sentence trying to get this clue out I mean honestly if you've not tried Time's Up give me a shout if you live near me because I'll be happy enough to show it to you this is a brilliant party game and granted it will get you shouting at people particularly your spouse but oh if you've got the even number of players to play it with I guarantee you it's a hilarious laugh and so much variety in the cards so number two Time's Up at Midnight and my number one moment this is a first for me now we were in the gaming marquee and this has been pre-arranged I was able to slip in at the last minute and join in with this but I was with 
some folks that I knew from Twitter already. One being, I'm sorry if I get your name wrong, trust me, I wasn't the only one to struggle, but Geraint, uh, Geraint, something like that. It's, it's got a T on the end, but basically, go halves with games. The gaming couple from Twitter, really nice people, worth you know just speaking to them. They're very friendly and always are up for a chat. But I was with him and another guy from Twitter called Jacob Kuhn. I believe he resides in Germany at the moment. But he, you know, another really friendly chatter on there. And he's part of Who's Podcast. So check out his podcast if you want to have a listen to someone else as well. But I was with them both. And another bloke called Matthew Dunstan. And Matthew Dunstan is the designer for the new Euro game Elysium. And Elysium was a game that's been on my hit list for a while to actually try out. It looked really good. I liked the mechanics that were in it. It looked gorgeous. So I was really keen to play it. But I'd never played a game with a designer before. Okay, people have come and play-tested games and they've like put their little Kickstarter thing out there. But that's rare. And that isn't quite the same. But to play with a well-known designer who's done other games as well, you know, not just Elysium, and to try out a game that I hadn't played for ages... This was a massive moment for me. I was really glad to get into this game and, you know, see how it was going. So, it was... And if you don't know Matthew Dunstan, you can find him on Twitter. He is on there. I believe his Twitter handle is... At Wise Goldfish. And if you don't know who Matthew Dunstan is, he's also designed a little card game or little tile game called Empire Engine, which I've got a copy of, actually. I got it for free when I bought... A lot of games from one store, so I've yet to try it. But he's also the man who designed Relic Runners, a game I sadly I have not played, but it's a pretty popular, underrated one from Days of Wonder. Looks gorgeous, and Z Garcia on Dice Tower is a real big fan of it. So if you want to find out more, maybe get in touch with him. But Elysium is a cool little Euro game where you're effectively buying cards and trying to create combos. But the way you buy these cards is that you have these four pillars in front of you, one of different colors. And the cards have got symbols on them to dictate what color pillars you must have in your possession before you can buy them. And as well as the cards, there's also a quote-unquote quest that you can buy as well, or that you have to buy, because you can only buy three cards and one quest in a round. And the quest will give you some end-of-turn bonuses and dictate the turn order. Now, if you don't have a colour pillar that corresponds to the quest or card in front of you, you can't buy it and you might be forced to take this wild card, which, yes, it's a wild card, but it gives you negative points at the end of the game. But the, what happens is, every time you choose a quest or a card, you have to choose one of your pillars to get rid of. It can be the same one you use to buy it, or something completely different. But you've got to choose one of your pillars to get rid of. And once that happens, in your next turn, you're then restricted as to which card you can buy, because you don't have the all four colors anymore. So if you choose to get rid of green, you can no longer buy a green card or quest for the rest of that round. And your options suddenly get more and more limited. And as other people are potentially buying up cards that you want for the combos, you know, it can get very tense as you're waiting for the turns to get back to you so you can buy the cards you want. It's a really cool little mechanic, and the game is not that long. You can wrap up this game pretty, fairly quickly, you know, even with a little bit of AP. Maybe with four players it might take a bit longer, but yeah, three three players or two players, this game will go quickly. It looks gorgeous on the table. The artwork's very nice. Basically, I think what he said is that a different artist was used for each god because the cards correspond to Greek gods. 
and we played with the basic set of five and each art each god had a different artist assigned to them so some were better than others but that's a subjective opinion but in general the artwork was really nice on the cards particularly with some of the uh, i think poseidon had some really nice striking artwork with the whole like water and sea theme but what was even better was that we played with a basic set of five gods but there's eight i believe in the game so you can actually you only choose five so there's good variety there because now in the game you can have a random setup of five gods and depending which ones you pick the game will go differently because different gods do different things you know one's good at getting you money one dicks over other players one gives you a big benefit while giving everyone else a little benefit one is just straight up you know victory point spam you know some really cool ideas with the gods and it's fairly thematic you know they make sense to the god that they're with and it's just a really cool little euro game so much so that i've actually recently just bought it the last order i did on chaos cards recently had a copy of elysium and i thought shall i buy it shall i not and recently a game that i did buy at the expo um which a review is coming out soon uh, progress evolution of technology i got it second hand in the brin and buy because i wanted to try it for a while spoiler alert wasn't particularly in- impressed with it so that's been sold and elysium has now taken its place so i look forward to having that in the collection it's a really cool game and i recommend you try it out but that's enough about the game itself why is this my top one moment well playing a game with a designer everybody else who's famous for doing their podcasts and blogs will tell you that playing with the designer is usually a highlight of their gaming life just to be able to talk to someone about their game why they thought of these concepts in it and just generally meet them because they're usually nice people Matthew Dunson was a perfectly nice bloke he taught us through the game yes he completely decimated us but it is his game um I was glad to come second to be honest and you know it was just a nice camaraderie with the group all four of us just there to have a good time and play a good game these sort of moments are ones that you should cherish when it comes to board gaming because they don't necessarily happen as often as you might think but it was just a highlight i'd never played with you know a proper designer before and you know relic runners and elysium these are two games that are now fairly well heard of now you know and relic runners from what i've heard is a fairly good game i've yet to try empire engine but if the games are anything like this Elysium, then Matthew's going places. So I wish him best of luck in the future. And I will certainly keep an eye out for any games that come out later or certainly any expansions. Because, uh, spoiler alert, I think he did mention that Elysium would get an expansion eventually. And to be honest, when your game has been nominated for you know, Kennerspiel and various other things, you're going to get an expansion. It's just the way it is. You win an award or get nominated for an award, you're getting an expansion. It's just going to happen. So you know credit where it's due but the game was fun so just playing the four of us with a designer it was a big highlight of the expo i hope to do this more often in future with any game designer i'd love to meet you all i'd love to play your games and you know just have a great time so my number one moment playing elysium with matthew dunstan and the folks from twitter Right, that's it for the UK Games Expo special podcast. That took a little bit longer than I was expecting. I suppose I was ranting on a bit there. But, oh well, that just goes without saying. I enjoyed the Games Expo. I've enjoyed it both years that I've done it. I'm going to be there next year without fail. 
for 2016 when they expand the place but as i said at the start of this year with my new year's resolution i am going to go to more conventions now granted i've not done a good job of this so far with only like oxcon being the only other convention i've been to because technically insomnia doesn't count because that's more for video games but i am going to go to more and we're starting now because next month in late July, I have booked a registration ticket for the weekend of ManorCon in the University of Leicester. I'm going to be there for that for the whole Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, maybe I'm not sure. I suppose I'll be there on the Friday. Yeah, I'm probably going to be there for the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, you know, I hope to play lots of games there and, you know, catch up with um, Paul Grogan as well, who I met at the Expo and he was he was demoing for Czech game editions, including the remake for Through of Age Through the Ages, which by the looks of it looks pretty solid. So I'm hoping to get in the game on that. But as well as that, there is also I believe a I believe the name is called Pasteboard and Plastics or something board and plastics anyway. And they game three times a year on a Saturday and it's a big gaming convention for that. Uh, I believe that's held in Brighton, so I'm going to pop along to that one in, I believe that one's uh, the very end of July, Saturday the 25th, I'll have to check. Um, but I've also got PopCon, that's uh, my local gaming group's convention at the end of this month, uh, Saturday the 27th of June, so if you want to meet me or the people of Games Quest, because they'll also be there, you can come check out PopCon on the 27th. I believe it's at the British Legion in Portsmouth. Um, but if you need to confirm those details, just get in touch with me on Twitter and I'll happily relay the information onto you. It's a cool event. But there's other events that I want to go to as well. I am definitely going to Essen this year along with Games Quest. That is going to be awesome. And there, I believe, maybe if I'm fortunate, I might be able to get a chance to go to MidCon as well, which is kind of related to ManaCon. You can book them on the same system, but that one's not till November, so that can wait a little while and see how things go. So, yep, there's more events that I'm going to go to this year. I'm going to make up and make certain that I get through my New Year's resolution. But, uh, well, this podcast is long enough anyway, so why stop now? I need to just quickly go into uh, some ideas that I've got for the podcast, and I want to run them by you. At the moment, as you can tell, this is quite a lengthy podcast. Now, for some people, that's a good thing. You know, you can just listen to it in bits, or, you know, some people have got the time, long commutes, and they will listen to it. But I understand that some people like things to be a little bit more bite-sized. And there are some other podcasts out there that literally keep themselves to 30 minutes. The reason my podcasts tend to go on quite long is, A, I talk too much. Yeah, I'll get that joke out of the way first. But also because I do those top 10 lists. You know, even the top 5 took me a while this time. But the top 10 lists do take a long time to talk through and arrange and that sort of thing. You know, half the podcast length can be dedicated to that top 10. But I really enjoy lists and top 10s, so that's not going to stop. But what I wanted to ask is, are there any segments that you would like to see in the podcast that you haven't seen already? Bear in mind, I do news every now and again. Uh, I, I don't do a ton on news because, to be fair, there are people out there that are so much better at doing news because they're constantly in contact with publishers and that. So if you want news, I leave it to them. You know, they're the good, they're the ones better at doing it, so I leave it to them. But I do the first impression, so the games that I played once and just give you an overview of what I thought of it from that one play, my discussion topics, and then the top 10 list. Now, are there any segments that I don't do that you would like me to do? I've been contemplating with ideas like maybe a solitaire game section where I go over a game that can only be played solo or a solitaire variant for a game that 
normally a group one and I give you my overview as to how it works and whether I think it's a good solo game or not because I do play a few of those and you know I live alone so therefore solo games do get to factor into whether I can enjoy the game a lot when I buy it does it have a good solo mode in it so I'm thinking of maybe that would you guys like to hear that let me know is there any segment that I haven't mentioned that you would like to hear in which case again let me know I'd like to hear your ideas and I'll certainly consider them but I would also like to know whether you would like me to try and cut the podcast length by splitting it into smaller podcasts. Now, I where are we on? Episode 31 now, I believe this is. And, you know, my podcasts are like an hour to an hour and 10 minutes long. They get quite lengthy. Now, mostly, like I said, this is because of the top 10 list. But if I want to cut it down, what I would have to do is maybe have one week devoted sorry one podcast devoted to these particular sections and then the next podcast dedicated to completely different sections or maybe a continuation of and then what i could try and do is rather than do one podcast a month i could try and get back into the habit of doing a fortnightly one because that was enjoyable when i did it but it's very difficult to do an hour plus long podcast and edit it every fortnight it's an absolute beast you know it's hard enough just doing this once a month but if they were shorter, I might be able to do that. Like, if I could keep it down to 30 minutes a podcast, I reckon I could do that every fortnight. But the only way I could do that is by having some shorter segments or by differentiating them between the weeks. The Dice Tower, for example, when they do their podcast, one week they will have, like, their top 10 list and some, like, Q&A stuff. Uh, that's Q&A. That's another one. Uh, if you'd like me to do that segment, if you can send me questions that you'd like me to answer about my personal life or what I like outside of gaming or just gaming in general that's a segment I wouldn't mind doing so you know if you want to see that I'm happy to do it but they have one week where they do the top 10 and various bits of that and then the next week they just have a random like ask the community thing and they talk about other things they have different segments on different weeks now I could do the same I could do first impressions one week and then maybe the discussion topic the next week something like that I could also split the top 10 list into two weeks so rather than having a massive top 10 list in just one podcast, I could have maybe a like the bottom five in one week and then leave it as a cliffhanger. And then in the next two weeks, the next episode comes out and I continue the top five of this list. That is a potential because it keeps you on your toes. It makes you think, oh, what's he put on the top five? You know, that kind of thing. But it also allows me to keep the podcast length down and not have it trail out as long as, well, this one, to put it frankly. Um, so it's an idea that I'm working with. So I'd like your feedback. Give me some ideas. Let me discuss them with you because I want this podcast to evolve. I want it to get better. I want the blog to grow. You know, not to stupid levels, but I'd like it to grow and be something that you're willing to listen to. You know, I'm doing this partially because I enjoy doing it, but also partially because I want you guys to listen and enjoy listening to it. If I'm just blabbing out here and you don't like listening to me, then, well, why, you know, at half the reason I'm doing this isn't there anymore so i'd like your input like your feedback what segments would you like to see which would you like to see you know trimmed down maybe and do you think maybe a fortnightly podcast but keeping it to 30 minutes a piece would be better for you would that be more convenient for your listening time because i understand that everybody's got kids and you know games and jobs and everything that requires time you know i'm one of them myself well not the kids i've got a job but you know what i mean and I understand that that can be a problem. So give me the feedback. Let me know what you think.
But my throat is starting to hurt now and I'm overdue for the gym. So I'm going to call this one a day and get on with my Saturday. So thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you went to the expo and had a great time as I did. I hope that the ones that I said I met on here, that I met at the expo, I hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing you again. But, you know, just generally, if you get a chance to go to the expo, it's worth it. It's good fun. You know, the inner geek in you will appreciate it. So that's it for me. Enjoy the rest of June until my next podcast, whether it will be a 30 minute or a 60 minute one. We'll see where the feedback goes. But for now, that's it from me. Take care, enjoy gaming, and I'll see you at the UK Games Expo 2016. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to The Broken Meeple. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to check out more of my work, you can find my website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple, and also check out my Facebook page. The music used in this podcast has been kindly provided by CMA Music. I'm Luke Hector, you take care and enjoy the hobby.